Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Welcome to Season 2, Episode 2 of Comic Book Nation, the official podcast of comicbook.com. I am your host, Kofi Outlaw, and with me today is... My two co-hosts, Charlie Ridgely, is back with us. What's up? Jim Viscardi is here. Hello. And as one of our big season two rollouts, we are now going to be introducing you to more of the uh, comic book team, because we have an extensive uh, staff that, you know, we have people in the office, but we also have a lot of people who work remotely from uh, various secret locations around the world. And today we're getting one of our primetime remote members to come in and join us. Mr. Patrick Cavanaugh is now on our guest cam over there. So, uh, what's up, Patrick? Not much. Uh, Long-time listener, first-time guest. Thanks so much for having me. Glad you could uh, find room in the schedule. Yeah, technology. It's come a far way since uh, since we started this whole podcast, and now we got you in here. Uh, Patrick's also known as the Wolfman, and he's one of our fine comic book editors who tries to keep our nonsense sounding like English. He's also one of our experts on Star Wars, alongside JK, who you've met a couple times. And he's our horror guy. And that's horror, not our horror guy. Uh, that's a whole different conversation. I was just about to be like, oh, well, great, now we need to scrub it. Now. Yeah, but uh, so Patrick does our horror, he does our Star Wars, he does our editing. So he's a jack of all trades, and today he's going to help us break down the variety of things we're going to be talking about. And those variety of things include a preview of the big Super Bowl trailers. Charlie Ridgely's been working hard the last couple days, putting together a kind of guide on which movie trailers you should be expecting to see during the Super Bowl this Sunday, so we're going to go through some of those. We're also going to talk about the uh, big first reactions coming out of DC's Birds of Prey premiere, uh, and they might surprise you. We're going to talk about a franchise that's come back from the dead to life, a franchise that's going from life possibly back to the dead, and we will review and recap the new episode of Star Trek Picard. Uh, Episode 2 is now out, and so we're going to do a quick little breakdown of that, and we say goodbye to Arrow, the groundbreaking DC TV series that kicked off the Arrowverse, has just wrapped its series finale, or run it, or aired its season finale, not wrapped, that'd be filming. So it aired its season finale, Arrow's now done, and we're going to reflect and talk about that. At the first, at the top of our news segment today, uh, you'll notice Mr. Brandon Davis isn't with us because uh, BD's out on the road and he's been doing all things Birds of Prey for like a week or something, I don't know. He's been gone, but uh, he's been... To a soundtrack release for Birds of Prey. He went to the premiere. He's done interviews with the cast. And since Birds of Prey had its premiere event, the first reactions, of course, have come out and hit the internet. And surprisingly enough, uh, certainly for like Jim probably over there, Birds (laughs) of Prey, people are saying Birds of Prey does not suck and is actually quite a bit of fun and could be another unlikely win for the DC movie franchise. Um, some of the highlights are that Margot Robbie once again kills it as Harley Quinn, that this movie is kind of very kind of flamboyant and unabashedly flamboyant and colorful and kind of zany in a way. There's some uh, pretty kick-ass black, action sequences. Black Canary stealing the show. Well, we're getting to all that. <laughs> uh, some pretty kick-ass action sequences that are in here. Uh, and a lot of the other kind of Birds of Prey characters seem to shine. There's getting be, There's already a lot of love, as Jim alluded, for the... This version of Black Canary, even though some people might say, you know, there needs to be more of her. Mary Elizabeth Winstead is apparently a scene stealer as Huntress. And this whole thing has come together a lot better than I think some of us were quite, you know, and understandably worried about. Because Birds of Prey hasn't really been moving forward with the most confident of steps. So it's good to hear this. And it's good to hear that also director Kathy Yan has really made a movie. Um, There's already one moment that people have kind of picked out from the movie that's already becoming like a GIF classic. And we'll talk a little bit about that, but it's, there's a lot of female sensibilities in this movie that people are praising as as a movie, as an example of why female directors should take female-driven characters and direct them. So that's all good stuff. Does that mean Birds of Prey is perfect, though? Uh, of course not. 
Some people have some other gripes, and we'll get into that. But I just wanted to kind of come on the positive spin of this is getting better early reactions than far better than we thought. Well, it's just interesting because everyone's commenting on how great the action is in the movie, but nobody is mentioning the fact that that's all from Chad Stahelski, which is interesting because like, I would imagine a lot of the fantastic action sequences that people are getting excited about probably came from the guy, because he's the guy who they brought in to help shoot yeah, during yeah, the yeah, reshoots, but right? We know more about like where that line is. Well, sure. Like, you got to be... I mean, you can't just turn around and be like, well, anytime I saw actions, Chad, the hell you did it. It's <laughs> yeah, awesome. It's not like the reshoots were, you know, an extensive, huge, like right. month or two long process. So, you know, it would stand to reason like, that his contributions, while important, were not, you know, it wasn't like he directed half the movie. Yeah, it's no. not a Josh know. Whedon, right. Jack, um, uh, Zack Snyder, Josh right, Whedon, right, Justice right. League situation all over again. Kathy Yon being kind of director that she is, I, I would imagine it, it's not out of the ordinary for that kind of director to have the learning curve of somebody who's more experienced in one area of filmmaking, step in and help with an aspect of film. In fact, I feel like we see it more and more. Well, and days. honestly, it's something that I, I appreciate how they approach that because, you know, there were quotes um, from multiple directors about, you know, I, I'm a big fan of the MCU. This isn't a dig, but about how, you know, they bring in auteur directors who aren't, you know, known for their action, don't have, you know, sensibilities or experience as an action director. And they say, we'll take care of it. Don't worry. And they're going to have their team come in and like make sure everything works, which is, is fine. It makes everything, you know, run smoothly. But instead of that, DC is going for, you know, different visions with different movies. And they said, well, let's take your vision completely and wholly. And then we're going to bring in a really renowned action director to help bring these other ones to life, not just as a standard thing, but as something really great and different. Um, and they're kind of combining those two styles. And it sounds like you know, it, it really worked out. And kind of like I say, we have to be careful about where the line is. Um, like I said, one of the big gif moments already from Birds of Prey is a fight sequence with all the Birds of Prey in a fun house. And uh, Black Canary's like trying to fight a bunch of dudes and dodging. And she does a tag team thing where Harley like throws a hammer at a guy. And in the middle of the fight, they stop and Harley like reaches into her pocket and pulls out a hair tie and tosses it to Black Canary so that Black Canary can tie her hair back and kick ass more efficiently, essentially. And this was picked out by, like, female pundits online and saying, well, as a moment where they felt this moment was distinctly from a female director who would be kind of the one to accentuate such a small but what they said was truthful moment about being a girl, like, doing something like fighting in combat and having to... You know, worry about tying your hair back and another girl helping another girl as a sort of tag team fight kind of combination. And so, like like I said, you just got to be careful because I don't think that's a Chad. Unless he's so woke about his feminine side that we just don't know this man, I wouldn't put that as a Chad Stahelski move. Uh, I would say that's more like Kathy Yan. But I'm not trying to, like, separate directors. I'm just happy that Birds of Prey is good because I've been interested in the movie and I was hoping it was going to be something, like, actually worth watching and not a terrible February movie. And that sounds like uh, I mean, more and more that February date is the is the date to have. I mean, well, Guardians now, had I mean, it, Deadpool Panther, had it, Black yeah. Panther. Yeah, Thursday. yeah. I mean, Guardians they're did. learning. The Guardians was August and then May, I think. Oh, uh, but, but Black, Black, Black Panther, Panther yeah. Yeah. Right. No, broke I mean, records. People learn from Black Panther that if you put actually something out in the graveyard of February, that's actually. Well, I mean, I mean <laughs> and even further than that, I mean, Bad Boys is proving it this year. Like, if you go early when nothing else is happening, you know, yeah. January typically sucks, and Bad Boys is crushing it because good movies and fun blockbusters never come out this time. Yeah. Patrick, you're over there. We don't want you to just be a creepy uh, thing staring at us from a TV screen. So what are you feeling about Birds of Prey? You're a little bit more skeptical about your film, or not skeptical, but I think you have a higher threshold for your film taste than like a lot of us slobs in the office. So so how are you feeling about all this? Yeah, I mean, it, Charlie kind of hit on it where... Uh, you know, there's this delineation of one direct, like, like with the Marvel Universe, how it seems like all of the action looks the same, all of the direction looks the same. You just bring in a director to help put their stamp on those dramatic sequences. So I don't think, uh, you know, the fact that there's someone else coming in for Birds of Prey to, you know, help guide the or shape those stunt sequences, like that's totally fine. They, they have a few creatives there at Warner Brothers all happy to make this movie the best that it is. I, you know, wasn't entirely sold on this movie, but it, I think it was only until this recent trailer and hearing all this positive buzz that uh, 
I'm definitely now much more excited for it than anything else Marvel has coming on the horizon. So uh, I'm excited to hear all this pri- praise. Well, wow, you're swinging, you're swinging big time over the DC movie universe. Saying, forget those Marvel uh, 2020 movies. Yeah, I mean, I'm. They're all, they'll all be fine. All of these movies are going to be fine. Everyone's going to be okay. We're all I don't know about argue Eternals. about Jim, them. Jim's the only one who thinks Eternals is going. Eternals be is going to be great. I've been about Eternals from the beginning. Don't Eternals worry. Be good. Yeah, but you're hyped about everything. Like, well, except I also, I also love I Chloe, uh, Chloe Zhao. Yeah, I mean, you gave an enthusiastic Doctor Doolittle review, so like we expect you to be hyped. Still, That's why you're here. I still rated it poorly. That is why you're here, but uh, it's good. So, all right, we also confirmed that uh, not to belabor the point too much, but we also confirmed that uh, Birds of Prey does have a post credit scene. So you guys are going to want to stay stick around for that one. We're not going to tell you if it's revelatory or funny or what kind it is. Just know that there is one and you got to you got to invest if you want to see it. So there's that. All right, that'll do it for Birds of Prey. If you want to see our first reactions, you can see our first reactions from our own Brandon Davis, uh, either on Twitter or on comicbook.com, where we've also pulled together a bunch of different Birds of Prey reactions from the industry pundits that have seen the film at the premiere. So go check that out at comicbook.com DC. All right, moving right along. So I told you, I did this little tease saying there's a movie franchise that was dead that is now alive and a movie franchise that was alive that is now back to being dead. So let's talk about both. Uh, First, the one that was dead and now back alive is, ironically enough, The Crow. The Crow is like lock and key. I'm so excited for this. Don't get too excited. I know. Just get excited if it's going to happen. Like I was about to say, like like Lock and Key, I've been in this business for 10 years, and a good portion of that 10 years has been talking about this Crow reboot happening (laughs) um, and seeing it live and die and live and die and live and die and live again, which is fitting for the character. And if this is all like one big meta marketing thing for this reboot, like bravo, 10 years of trying to bring teasing somebody's coming back from the dead and not doing it is, is a very crow way to go. But Sony is taking up uh, the story of Eric Draven again, and we're getting a new version of The Crow. The last one had Jason Momoa attached to it. It was going to be uh, director Corin Hardy, and then they just kind of, uh, that fell apart. I and mean, that was going into, like, they were in, or starting pre-production. Yeah, yeah, no, that was, like it was far closest- along. That was the closest it's come. I mean, I've had so many people attached to this, so many directors, so many stars. But this one was close, and it seemed like it was actually going to happen, and that it didn't. Not that Jason Momoa was hurting with that billion-dollar Aquaman come up, so good for him. But uh, And he was always a weird—and, like, let's be honest, right? Like, he was kind of always a weird choice for Eric Draven. Like, everybody I grew up with in the 90s who loved The Crow, all the goth kids in school, like, they weren't Jason Momoa's. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, they were, like, anti-Jason Momoa's. There was, like— Jason Momoa hanging in my school locker room in, like, gym after school, you know, doing sports. And then the Crow guys off to the side smoking cigarettes. So those are two separate camps. So that was always a weird casting. But um, I don't know. But I could – I'm okay with them casting a a bigger person for this character. I mean, that's fine. That would be a nice, interesting take. Yeah. Yeah. Give him all that that uh, Call Drogo like mascara and stuff. Like <laughs> no, all in. Oof. No, we got. I mean, there's a crop of new young actors all across the board, and I'm sure we'll as this go along, we'll have a who should play the new crow list for y'all. But I mean, just everybody from. I mean, there's just so many kids. Like I would get that kid from uh, what's his name from the Maze Runner, Dylan O'Brien. Yeah, uh, like, mm-hmm. like his face is so sweet though. Yeah, it's true. He does have. I can't. Yeah, Brandon like, Lee was a pretty man too. I mean, he was. He put on listen, that listen, makeup. Pretty and, yeah. and and sweet are two very different things, dude. You ever see Dylan American O'Brien Assassin? Very, like, Dylan O'Brien, O'Brien can like be so, badass. I mean, but he's the good guy. Like he's he's no Dylan like O'Brien little, is kid, like, like a little baby, he's dude. Cute. What movies this have you could, been watching? This could Dylan be the plays like a smug. Dylan O'Brien's like the smug kind of. I mean, but always yeah, but it's always cute. He's always like cute about it. I don't know what you're saying right he's now. He's like a little teen heartthrob guy. <laughs> I'm just saying. I, don't... I feel like Patrick's face is speaking for America right now. He doesn't know what you're saying either. <laughs> but the point is, uh, we're not going to get hung up in who. There is no writer. There is no director. There are no stars attached to this. This is literally Sony saying, we're just going to make another crow. And that's where we're at right now. Um, so let me ask you guys, do you think the crow, how would you now make a crow movie for modern audiences? Like, what do you think? I mean, that 90s goth stuff is gone, man. Like, that's no longer a safe space for these kids. So Go ahead, Patrick. what do you do? You're the horror guy, Patrick. Do something around here. Yeah, it, I mean, it's tough because the the three, like, uh, one was theatrically released, but then the other two sequels were just, like, straight to video. There are four crow movies, and only the first one is worth anything at all. The other three are garbage. Because they were all just trying to recreate like what made that first one so special. And the concept is 
so simple. Like it's it's not it doesn't have to be tied to a specific character. It doesn't need to be tied to a specific mythology. All you need is someone facing, you know, a wrongful death coming back and seeking revenge. Like it's a story that we've seen in countless movies and TV shows and comics and, and things like that. So it's such a simple premise that I think where they're going to get hung up on is whether they're trying to recreate the original movie or if they realize like there's, it doesn't matter. Let's just do our own thing. So it's weird. It's both weird that they're still trying to make this happen, but also weird that they aren't easily just cranking these out, you know, every two or three years. It, it reminds me like what you said, Patrick, reminds me a lot of what they did, what Universal just did with Invisible Man. They took a simple concept and they made a modern story out of it and didn't try to recreate the original Invisible Man movie. They said, let's do something completely different. Lee Wan L came in with a new pitch. And the movie, I mean, we don't know if it's good or not, but it looks very good from the trailers. And I think that's kind of what you're saying to go for with The Crow um, is to you know take it in its own in its mean, own direction. I mean, maybe a movie is just is the wrong format for it. Maybe it's a, a series, which I think is... Like a show like this can be a, 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 well, it could be either a procedural-ish in a way, or it can be a pretty good prestige series that you do for on a, you know, for eight episodes or something and let it do its thing. Yeah. And and, I mean, not in live action, but like just this past uh, holiday season, there was a Crow holiday one shot, you know, about like a father and daughter who come across a group of assassins and push comes to shove and, you know, they get killed. And then the girl comes back to, you know, take out those assassins one by one. And it was awesome. Like it was, it was totally in the spirit of the character and I did not need to see any further adventures, but the fact, just the fact that it was like set during the winter and took place in a forest and it wasn't this, you know, goth industrial factory or anything like that. And it was awesome. It was, you know, one of the best crow related things I've seen since the movie. So it's like such a simple concepts that I, I'm just surprised that they just can't seem to figure out how to make it work. <laughs> yeah, I think you that actually brings up an idea I would love to see, which would be like an anthology movie. Um, kind of like separate vignettes about different situations with a crow and maybe bring them all together by the end of some kind of like twist or surprise, but that would be great. Like, I would love to see different kinds of stories. Like you said, like a little girl and her father and the little girl comes back and then this happens and then that happens and Maybe find some way at the end to tie it all together like a Sin City type deal, but uh, that would be really cool. And you could do it on the cheap. <laughs> but all right, anybody else have any closing thoughts about The Crow they want to share? Any pressing Fire matters? Fire it up. Fire it well, up. I just want to know why everyone back. has cared so much about this. Like, <laughs> Dude, fire it up. That movie is classic. Fire that movie it rules. Up. It fire rules. It I love that movie. Fire it up. The Crow? Yeah. I, I mean, that, dude, that is like I, I'm not saying don't love the movie. Right I'm not there. saying that don't love the, the movie. In one whole I just movie. don't know why there's been this obsession with the, the fire with making another no, with making another one. Oh, because you know, like we have one and it's great. Oh, it's, I mean, it's you, a cult you just asked a question about movies. I know. I, I, I get that. <laughs> yeah. I understand. As I said, it like that's a question for every single franchise that there is. I just the crow seems to be one of those that like. But because, because like the a, a, like, it's just thing. like it's just like we we just said the crow is not a one and done kind of thing, right? Like it's not the 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 success of the crow. I don't think lives and dies on Eric Draven. Eric Draven was a great intro into the idea of what the crow is, and it's it's a weird spirit of vengeance meets Punisher it's kind a goth. of like. Let's thing. be honest, it's just a goth thing. Like, sure, I mean the look, goth the thing look, was huge in the nineties, like, but. But that the I, but like the idea of what it is is easily something that can be, oh yeah, done you know again and again ish in really any format and like that's that's where I think the excitement's for it's not necessarily to do the original crow again but to do it uh, I mean I don't want to say better because everyone loves the original but to just bring it back in a way for you know to get people excited so we need new goth kids. I think I think what's tough is like the original movie is such a cross section of the culture at the time that it's not just the story it is the look it is the soundtrack it you know it's yep. it's all those it's you know a gritty R rated comic book movie before Blade before like before mm-hmm. all of those things so everyone just doesn't understand the alchemy that made that movie such a success. And just trying to figure out, like, what the hell needs to happen? You know, are we going to... I don't know what kids listen to these days, but, like, is there going to be a dubstep soundtrack? Is that still oh, a thing? Oh, soundtrack by Billie Eilish. Yeah, I was, was going to say, Billie Eilish fits this. 
Yeah. Right. It's like, Today's okay, we version. got Billie Eilish. We got, you know, one of the Sprouse twins as the crow. Like, what else do we need? What else do we need? You don't want to hear BTS's I'm, crow remix? I'm sold. Green, green light this movie to, to tomorrow. I'm sold. Perfect. Give, All right. Give me a paycheck. <laughs> All right. So that'll do it for The Crow. That's the movie that was dead. That's bow back to life now. Let's talk about a movie that showed signs of life and is now dead as a doornail. That is the Terminator franchise. Mm, well, so, Linda Hamilton... Never one that I would think would be a self-censoring master uh, was asked if she wants to still be part of the Terminator franchise, and her answer was Patrick. Nope. Nope. Exactly. Uh, Patrick covered this for us, but uh, yeah, Linda Hamilton is not happy. I mean, Terminator Dark Fate made like $2 or $200 million. I forget which one it is. Uh, I think it made $2 profit because it made like about $200-something million, I believe, and it was like $160-something million to produce or something like that. Those are like round numbers, yeah, it was uh, like or just two, approximated two, numbers. Two thirty so, worldwide and one eighty five to make, but ooh, good lord, I gave them more credit. Okay, so yeah, so it, I mean, it flopped harder than most movies we've seen flop in recent flopping history, uh, and this, is, I mean, it especially hurts because. This one brought back James Cameron. They pulled Linda Hamilton out of, like, retirement or whatever she was doing to come back and be like, come on, you're an icon. Get back out there. People love it. And people didn't love it. And, uh, you know, not to make not to make too much fun because actors are people. They have feelings like people, I'm told. And, you know, I can understand the level of vulnerability she probably feels right now as, like, an aging actress, former star, who thought she could come back and do the second run, have it kind of, you know, blow up like this, and she probably just was happier doing whatever she was wanting to do, was looking at everybody like, why the hell did you disturb my my stories in my afternoon nap? Like, I was good. It's just really weird because, like, I know I'm part of the problem because I did not go see this movie in theaters, but I watched it on its home release, and I enjoyed it. Like, it, I don't think it's... It deserves the the bad rap that I think it gets. I think it may have been released at the wrong time. Um, it was, you know, it was a pretty crowded year last year. As far Dude, as if they had saved went. this for January, February, it would have done a lot better. Yeah, exactly. That's what I'm saying. Like, and so, you know, it it kind of sucks to see like Linda Hamilton be like, no, nah, no, nah, I'm done. That was that was really really bad. And, and it, it's awful that it, you know the Terminator as a franchise just can't shake. You know, it's it's awfulness at this point. And, you know, we are where we are. But I don't think that movie is anywhere near as bad as, uh, you know, the little money it made. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, no, no there are a lot of people on DVD figuring that out over the last few weekends. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, everybody always sung its praises, but it was just it was just a, it came out a weird time because really if did. I remember correctly, it came at a time like when there had been like a bunch of blockbuster push. Mm-hmm. Then it came on like this weird downturn. It was like right before, wasn't it? Like it was right after Halloween. I always thought that and Dr. Sleep were like some weird release date flips. Like, Dr. <laughs> Sleep or no, it came like right before Halloween. Dr. Sleep came out like right after Halloween. And I was like, what? Why wouldn't you just flip those? Like, have Terminator start off the Bockbuster holiday season run. Mm-hmm. Have Doctor Sleep be like this Halloween movie. But anyway, that's neither here nor there. But it, like, yeah, it just came out when there was like general fatigue. People weren't like getting in. I mean, it. Like, the end of the, the end of the year last year was like it was kind of exhausting to it, get it to was, the movie theater. You, you had you had Joker. I'm looking right now at kind of the release slate in the fall. You had Joker at the beginning of October, and that was I mean, that was really dominant. That was, yep. And then it was followed by like a massive wave of flops because you had a week later, Gemini Man did nothing. Then you had Male- Maleficent was fine, you know, box office performance wise, uh, and Zombieland did okay, but not. I think not as much as they None of those really like And then a week later, you had, you know, Black and Blue didn't do anything. And then you had Terminator Dark Fate and Motherless Brooklyn followed by Dr. Sleep. And like all of those just crashed and burned. I think there was so much burnout from like what you had in the summertime with Avengers Endgame and, you know, Toy Story 4. And then there's, you know, that, this kind of gap between Joker and Frozen 2 where everything kind of chilled out. Uh, and I think, you know, Charlie's Angels was up in that, that slot too. And that made no money despite good reviews. There was a lot of that there in the latter half of last year, uh, you know, ahead of Knives Out, ahead of Frozen 2. Yeah, like basically, and we said it last year, people shaved their money for like Avengers Endgame, Joker, and then whatever was coming around Christmas, Star Star Wars, Frozen, that stuff. And everything in between just kind of got eaten alive. So, yeah, but uh, Terminator is dead as a doornail. At this point, I don't think Terminator should even be a movie series anymore. Just like go back to what worked for the franchise last time it sucked this bad and go back to TV. Like, people still love the Sarah Connor Chronicles. 
Forget Sarah Connor. Start a whole new story and just do. Something. I mean, they like it more than most Terminator things. Terminator thing. Terminator is what somebody I mean, like. Yeah, you, no, no, no. Like Jim, don't do this. Like, Sarah, Con- <laughs> like this isn't a debate. The Sarah Connor Chronicles had a very strong cult following. Sure, it's a popular TV show. Like, what I don't understand is, is I look at like, this and maybe it's the horror aspect. And Patrick, you can maybe speak to this, but like, it it seems like Terminator and Halloween had very very similar situations. In that they were really popular hits in their first one or two times out, you know, decades ago. And then they had a lot of really subpar, maligned sequels over the years. And then they came back recently. They brought back their really important female lead uh, and had her, you know, reprise a role and, 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 and kind of take over the franchise. And for Halloween, it worked incredibly well. It was a well reviewed movie. It made a ton of money and you got two more sequels. And for Terminator, it just totally fell apart. Uh, and it's really hard to see like where the difference was between those two things. Uh, yeah, I mean, because like the, the quality was definitely there, and, and you know, as we all pretty much agree, like the new Terminator is good. It's nobody knew why nobody wanted to go see it, other than that you know the the bad taste in their mouth from Genesis and Salvation and Rise of the Machines, and the you know similar to Halloween, like the original movie is just this like lo-fi, you know, really low production value, uh, uh, just high concept movie that was a success. And then it turned into Terminator 2 Judgment Day, this huge action, you know, masterpiece, for lack of a better term. And so they just assumed, okay, let's keep getting bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. And that'll bring people to the theater, not realizing like that that's not what makes it's just this clever time travel assassin stuff. It's It's not, nobody wants to see the future nobody wants to see when the machines take over they want to see the cool ways in which the time travel is working uh, uh and integrating into the narrative so yeah. this movie and had also, all of that it was to, just to the, your the, expertise patrick the horror part like the first terminator is a undercover great horror movie it's a it's a yeah, slasher it, movie essentially it, with a sci-fi and, and twist. it's like this this noir thriller like it's super dark you know everything is at night in the dark so uh it, they they this movie i thought was that the action was super fun and you know the uh i spoke to uh gabriel luna earlier this week and uh unfortunately he kind of said like yeah this franchise is probably not gonna go anywhere but i would like to see a you know joker-esque spinoff of you know the humans that these cyborgs were modeled after uh and what linda hamilton said was like i'd love to do another one of these movies if the stakes were a few million dollars shorter so i think that would be the approach of like you know have it be maybe something like split where it's its own standalone movie but then all of a sudden there's you know an easter egg or connection to oh and this is part of the Terminator franchise, and we had no idea. Like, this is an undercover... Secret sequel. Right, Cloverfield yeah. it. Yeah, all right. I think Patrick's hit the nail on the head. We've Poor just solved the Terminator Luna. problem. So we're going to leave it there and uh, move right along because we got uh, more stuff to talk about and not all the time in the world. When we come back, we are going to deep dive into Picard, uh, Star Trek Picard, episode two. We're going to talk about the Arrow season finale, and Charlie's going to break down what movie trailers you need to be looking for at the Super Bowl. So stay tuned for all of that. Knowing how to speak and understand a new language can be an invaluable tool when traveling, meeting new friends, or just even to master a new skill. But it's not always simple when you're bogged down by textbooks and structure classes. That's why so many people trust Rosetta Stone. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program, available on desktop or as an app. It truly immerses you in the language you want to learn, like Spanish, French, Italian, Chinese, and more. You won't just be studying English translations. The Rosetta Stone intuitive process helps you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com rs10. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com rs10 today. All righty then. So I'm going to real quick save us some time and go through Picard uh, episode two. This is the next series in the new kind of Star Trek TV relaunch. It's up on uh, CBS All Access. And we liked uh, Jamie came on and did Star Trek 
or Star Trek Picard episode one. Episode two kind of episode one was basically a mix of Star Trek the Next Generation nostalgia and stage setting for what this new series is gonna be. Episode two very much rapidly jumps in and expands the kind of scope of what Picard is all about. And it does a lot of clever things to quickly retcon some important parts of Star Trek history, introduce a kind of new villain threat, and kind of propel us into more of what Picard's up against in this new adventure and less about his own personal kind of uh, internal conflict about who he was versus who he is now and all that. So um, no spoilers. I won't. You can find our coverage of all the spoilers from this episode up on comicbook.com Star Trek. But uh, some things just to kind of whet your appetite. Some really cool things is we find out some secrets of the Romulan Empire that really redefine this race and who has had like a very prominent role as Star Trek and Starfleet's uh, sometimes prom- most prominent foes. And so there's some revelations about that that kind of change the history of that. We finally get a name and a kind of shape of the villains of this series who are this kind of secret Romulan cabal that are these fanatics who are even deeper than their famous secret police tall Shiar the Romulan secret police, and so these guys are more deadly, they're more capable, and they've been planning, they're like quantum and James Bond, basically, because they're already everywhere, deeply embedded. Starfleet may be compromised, there's a whole bunch of stuff going on. So there's this very good kind of uh, spy, what do you call that, uh, espionage kind of spy mystery thrill thriller kind of laced into this Star Trek series. And that stuff's pretty exciting, especially if you're a longtime fan and know a lot about about Picard, The Next Generation, The Romulans, Deep Space Nine, The Dominion War, all that stuff. So we begin to meet some of the new characters who are going to be part of the series. Picard begins to kind of gather this ragtag crew that he's going to put together, we saw from the trailers. And um, he get, and uh, Patrick Stewart gets to have a little less dramatic lifting and a little bit more levity and fun in this episode. And so that's kind of cool to see as well. So... If you are not checking out Star Trek Picard, seriously, you need to jump into this whole new Star Trek revival. Because until the Mandalorian Season 2 gets here, if you're kind of like a space geek like myself, this is your Star Trek TV is your best bet. Discovery Season 3 is still coming. This is a good time to catch up on Discovery, get into Picard, and enjoy all of this. So that's my PSA. Moving right along from Star Trek over to DC. Oh, I mean, does anybody else have anything to say, Picard? That was rude of me. No, it's it, it's. I love that there is money in this show. It looks yeah, phenomenal. no, it looks really good, and there's some really great scenes in this one. I mean, even just they spend money on even like a simple investigation of an apartment has a lot of CGI and mm-hmm. technology, and it all looks great. Yeah, so. it this yeah. feel this feels like a futuristic like if if but also like incredibly modern television. Yeah. Um is really the the And best they do and, and since it's a lot set on Earth uh more than just about any other Star Trek mm-hmm. show, uh they do a great job of making Earth look conceivably like this is the future but still Earth and and all of that. Oh, also we get an awesome flashback to one of the big teased events in the first episode which is this synthetic uprising and mass murder and we get a pretty horror movie style kind of flashback to what that was all about so check that out all right moving over to dc we say goodbye to arrow this week the godfather of the Arrowverse, the show that some said was long past its prime kind of finally uh went on that long cowpoke ride into the sunset um and uh it, it wasn't like uh, the event, I'm sure, the CW and the people involved with the show were hoping for. The ratings were really poor for the Arrow series finale, but uh, that brought up a good point that I wanted to touch on, which is the episode itself. I, I found very fulfilling as as somebody who was with Arrow since the since the series premiere, and I stuck with it through all its bad steps and all the first season kind of CW sappiness until it found its footing and all that, but. I think the problem with the Arrow finale, and this is not a problem of content, it's just kind of structure, is that it's actually like, it does that Suicide Squad thing where this is actually like the fourth epilogue to Oliver Queen's story. We knew he was going to die all season long, so we knew that ending. Uh, part of the season of last season even ended with like Felicity going to the future or the afterlife to meet Oliver, so we already knew the epilogue to the show and everything. We had had, he had died not once, but twice during the Crisis crossover event and had these two big dramatic death scenes. And so this one was just kind of like his funeral and showing us how the rest of Team Arrow is dealing with the post-crisis reality and what that reality is now that that Oliver Queen became the specter and, and essentially rebuilt his the universe according to his liking or his whims we find out like who what that what the changes are in that 
And in that sense, this was a good kind of setup for the post-crisis Arrowverse to show us, like, you know, Diggle's moving to Metropolis with a bunch of other people. Oh, this character's back alive. This character's back alive. <laughs> like, you know, Tommy Merlin and his mom and all this stuff that happened during the series has been retconned, and now these people are back. So we got that. That was satisfying as a preview for the future. But again, the heaviness over Oliver's loss and his funeral and all that, it wasn't as weighty because we've seen this dude die like 50 times in the show, <laughs> twice in the last few episodes. And so it was just like, bury this guy already. Like, let's let's just move on with that. Even so, I, I still managed to get choked up at several points during Arrow. There was uh, there were just some of the characters that came back actually did get to me. Um, Moira and Thea kind of remembering Oliver got me choked up. Thea and uh, Roy Harper getting together and kind of like committing to get married got me like a little choked up. I thought that was really good. Um, things with Captain Lance and Laurel and, and, you know, alternate universe Laurel, Diggle and his whole thing. Like, so there was a lot of emotion involved if you've been with these characters for a long time. Overall, like, yeah, I mean, it was time for Arrow to end. There was no, like, not a whole lot left to ring out of this horse. But uh, uh, as for me, and we can all speak to this, I've been having trouble keeping up with the Arrowverse post-crisis, I'm going to be honest. I told Jim the other day, I felt like this was a natural jumping off point for me. And I haven't really kept up with the shows. I tried to watch the penultimate episode of Arrow, which was the uh, Green Arrow and the Black Canaries backdoor pilot. And I couldn't get through that. I was just like, I'm not into this. Like, I'd just rather, at this point, I want to go rather watch Titans and Doom Patrol and Harley Quinn and even Swamp Thing. You know, I'm not hating on you either, Swamp Thing. <laughs> but the Arrowverse was great. It's, it's just like one of those eras I feel like is passing. Like, we needed Smallville in the 2000s. We needed Arrowverse, Arrow and the Arrowverse in the 2010s. But it's 2020 now, and, like, I feel like we need something new from DC TV. And telling me, like, Barry Allen, Supergirl, Batwoman, and all these people are now, like, one big Justice League and one big sandbox doesn't necessarily sell me. Even though Diggle will be going to Metropolis or becoming a Green Lantern or all that You don't want to see Diggle show up in the HBO Max Green I Lantern never, series? I was never a whole thing about, just because there's a black guy <laughs> named John, like, I don't think he needs to put on a Green Lantern costume. I was never behind this whole quote-unquote right. theory, which is just taking a black guy named John and being like, that's close enough, John Stewart. Like, <laughs> um, so I never was like really into that whole thing, but it was nice to see. I mean, he, he, he fits the John Stewart, like, like the well, personality. That's the, yeah, the personality, know? but he's right, a different person. But he's person. not John yeah, Stewart. He's not, no, John he's, Stewart. He's not but yeah. I mean, that's a guy who's had to play second fiddle to Stephen Amell for a long time. And it's just, and, well, it's also you know, ironic I, that like online, the most, you know, the blanket racist statement is, don't change characters' races, like create new ones. They're like, okay, we'll create a guy named Biggle, Diggle. Make that guy the other black character. I like that. Like, no, like I mean. they inter they already introduced Diggle in the in DC Comics. So so they yeah. can't they can't be the same person. No. It's just I it's a it's a really sort of bittersweet type of fan service that I appreciate they did in the episode because it has been the one thing over the eight years or so that the show has been been around like is Diggle I mean it didn't really come around until maybe season two or three that like is you know Diggle should be a Green Lantern Diggle should be a Green Lantern and people have been asking him uh David Ramsey uh for years what do you think do you think you should be and he's like yeah 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 and it makes totally no sense but at the same time, you know, for them to, to nod there is like, okay. But like, does that mean if he shows up again in the Arrowverse? Because it's not like Arrow's over. These characters can't show up in the Arrowverse. Like if he shows up in I mean, the Arrowverse he, again. He, they're moving to Metropolis. Right. That's they're what I mean. The scene of the Superman Lois. Yeah. Well, like, but the, and, and that's the thing. It's like I, I, I think both things can be true. I, I'd want a, a new Jon Stewart, a full, like a brand new Green Lantern show with brand new characters, nothing to do with the Arrowverse. But like. I think it's really fun also to have Diggle not be John Stewart, just be Diggle and have gotten a Green Lantern ring. No, in the uh, I like that. I mean, I like that idea. And like pop if up Diggle now and then on Legends or on Superman on Lois, like, or in the Green Lantern HBO Max series. I'm not going to hate. And I love David Ramsey, so yeah. I, I I think for me the most fun I had was getting to see him just do that and something he also thought would be cool to do. So I like it when actors get their own like personal fan service moments. So I thought that was cool, and I'm not hating on that. But, um, yeah, we say goodbye to Arrow, and, uh, yeah, I don't know what the future holds. I hope the Arrowverse can find a way to suck me back in. But uh, I don't know. This could be the end for me, my friend. Uh, Patrick, how about you? We know you how to hardcore Arrow guy you are. <laughs> yeah, I am, I am Captain Arrow. Call me Captain Arrow. Uh, no, I'm with you that, like, 
uh, I watched, I want to say the first two, maybe even three seasons of it. And then the flash came out and Supergirl came out and I was like, Oh, these shows are better. And wait, there's 22 episodes a season. I'm out. Um, and <laughs> so, so like the arrow was of its time. It was great in the 2010s because it was better than agents of shield. Um, mm-hmm. but since then it was, the Netflix series came out and, you know, Runaways and Cloak and Dagger. Like, there's just so many shows came out uh, that were better than Arrow, in my opinion, that I just, uh, I was too overwhelmed by all of it. But I still couldn't help, like, earlier this week, seeing the uh, the Crisis stuff or, you know, seeing the, the finale stuff. I was like, eh, maybe I kind of want to, I'm not, I'm not going to catch up. There's like seven seasons, 20 episodes each. That's easily 400 episodes, if I've done my math correctly. Uh, it's got to be at least 400. So, um, no, uh, I don't care. Let it die. I mean, if you want to catch up, I recommend watching the second half of Arrow, of Arrow Season 1, Season 2, Season 3, uh, Season 5. The rest is optional. Season 5 was Adrian Chase. That was great. Mm. Um, the rest is optional. But uh, RIP to Arrow, the godfather of uh, DC's comic book live-action TV universe. And did, in a lot of ways, help usher in uh, this whole changeover from doing the Smallville stuff to full-fledged superhero TV to where we've graduated to these bigger, better streaming services. So, you know, you're the amazing Spider-Man of superhero TV, and I appreciate what you did. (laughs) Thank you. Um, Finally, close us out. Mr. Charlie Ridgely is going to take us through, telling us through what Super Bowl movie trailers we've already seen and which ones we need to keep our eyes peeled for in between what could be a very boring game this year. So, uh... Charlie. Is it boring? Yeah, I mean, I think Casey and uh, San Fran have the classic San Fran's playing great precision football. Casey's a brawler team, and that can get very boring sometimes. We'll see. Um, I mean, I'm more excited than anyone that the Patriots have ever played in. So they're, this it's going to be a weird year for trailers because there's a lot of things that have come out like right before the Super Bowl, and um, and there's a lot of things on the horizon that are like weirdly timed out for this. Uh, and then we have studios sitting out. So like more than years later um, – Trailers and spots cost more this year than they ever have in recent history, or in any history. Um, it's $5.6 million for a 30-second oh. spot in the Super Bowl. It was, uh, was 5.2 last year. Um, it's, it's a lot of money. Uh, the, the one thing that studios are doing this year is they're using the pregame and postgame you know, uh, spots to kind of bolster their advertising because a pregame spot is about half as much. So you could run two different trailers during – the pregame show while people are already paying attention and then you, you know, the same cost as something at halftime, you know, with, with one, with one spot. Super Bowl is going to mess around and we're just going to be commercial free. Oh, it's going to be terrible. (laughs) Um, But it's the one thing streaming hasn't been able to touch yet. So it's kind of like this, this relic um, of, of the TV age, but we've already had a few of these things that we knew were coming for the Super Bowl already come out. The Sonic the Hedgehog spot came today. It had Michael Thomas and Christian McCaffrey in it. Um, you had the uh, Amazon's Hunters series, which looks really good. The Jordan yeah, that Super Bowl, series. that's been my favorite. Um, I have to say, big up Amazon's Hunters. Um, that show is coming. The timing, like, man, first of all, the timing is great oh, yeah. for that show. That's, that's the Pacino series. Possibly yeah, yeah, yeah. slipping into fascism. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, it's a good time to watch that. And they did a great job of making this Super Bowl trailer like highly stylistic, highly thrilling, and, yeah. and intriguing. It looks very good. Um, yeah, it's pretty um, creepy. And the other one we've already seen is SpongeBob. Um, the sponge out of water uh, that had a 30-second spot with Snoop Dogg in it. And so they're going to re-air those. Those are going to happen, but they're not going to be surprising to any of us because we've already seen them because they're online. The same is going to be true, I think, for Fast and Furious 9 or just F9 as it's apparently called because they're having that that whole big event tomorrow uh, in Miami. Uh, it's going to be streamed online, I think, at uh, noon Pacific. Um, it's going to be it's gonna stream online. They're going to have a concert with Cardi B and a bunch of other people. And Wiz Khalifa, and then they're going to show the trailer. So gender reveal parties were the worst. (laughs) They're going to do this. They might show a different spot during the Super Bowl, but we're not going to get a lot new from there. But they're going to have something because the Fast franchise is such a mainstay in the Super Bowl. Um, And so outside of that, there isn't anything else that we know for sure uh, is happening other than like reports have said things are confirmed. Like we, we almost positive we're getting a Minions: The Rise of Gru. Spot or trailer, which that'll be big. That's Universal's other tentpole for the year. Um, every Minions-related movie 
since the first one has made at least $900 million. Um, it's a huge franchise. Uh, we'll probably get the first look at that. And the other one that's been talked about that not officially confirmed, but mostly confirmed is the invisible man. Uh, we'll get something from that from universal. So that's probably universal's like what they're doing. That's what they're, they got in their corner. We know for sure that Sony and Warner brothers are not advertising. So we're not going to see wonder woman, 1984. We're not going to see, uh, venom Two, Morbius, uh, the Scooby-Doo animated movie, ghostbusters afterlife, bloodshot tenant, all those are off the board. Um, so they might release something online, the day before, day after the Super Bowl, but they're not going to do anything. They're not going to pay for that advertising. So that leaves, you know, Paramount and Disney as the big, as the big players. Um, and it's weird because I feel like Bond would be the perfect well, thing. Well, Bond's Paramount. Oh right. So Duh. that's that's I one of my. I keep, I, I I keep forgetting story. it's not Sony. Sony um, anymore, yeah. I wrote a story before the, the reports about Sony and Warner Brothers that came out. Um, just looking at the last few years and the release dates and the demographics of of movies this year, you know what I expect to see and the what like my ride or die bet is James Bond. Um, I think there's almost no way we don't see anything. It might be partnered with a car commercial, but we're going to see something from No Time to Die. Uh, we're we're definitely going to see something from um, Top Gun Maverick. Uh, and from what I've read, it's it's going to be in the pregame stuff. They're going to go really heavy in the pregame with Top Gun Maverick. Um, probably multiple TV spots for that. Uh, and then you've got the streaming services and Disney then become the wild cards because Disney has so much coming out. Um, but we've already gotten a couple of Black Widow trailers, so I don't expect a full Black Widow trailer. Maybe the first Black Widow TV spot because that's what they did with Avengers Endgame last year, which had the same release window. They got a TV spot. Um, it might be one of those watch the full trailer on Good Morning America on Monday. Um, like they've done, they did for Solo two years ago. I think that that's a possibility. Other Disney releases, you, Mulan is the one that they, I feel like they really have to advertise. That's a really, really, really big budget thing that's not guaranteed to make money. It should, but it's not like a Marvel Studios film where you've got an audience already baked in. So that, I feel like they're going to try to push that. We'll probably see a TV spot for Mulan. Onward and Soul, the two Pixars, I, they've liked advertising Pixar before, um, but I don't know if they're the right kind of Onward may be a TV spot, but other than that, uh, I don't expect anything Disney animated. Um, the one Disney-owned thing that I think is inevitable, that I think is perfect for the Super Bowl, would be Free Guy, uh, the 20th Century Studios movie with Ryan Reynolds. I mean, Ryan Reynolds crushes. Ryan Reynolds is like The Rock. He's the perfect kind of guy to advertise during a Super Bowl because um, he appeals to such a wide range of of audiences and all kinds of different demographics, you know, whether you live in a city or in middle America, you know, no matter where you lean in any in any demographic, like, those two guys are, are really widely appealing. Um, so I would expect to see something from that. And then that leaves the streaming services. Amazon has had a big, a really big presence the last couple of years in the Super Bowl, And we've already seen the Hunter's trailer. I would not be surprised if we see the first, like a teaser, like a 30 second teaser for the boys season two. The boys is one of Amazon's biggest hits over the last couple of years. It really fits that Super Bowl demographic. Um, and I think, you know, it doesn't have to be much new footage, but a little short teaser to drop a release date or something. Did they ever the put up the one two. that was online again? Because we had that well, one. Well, they want to announce season two. Yeah, I know. But then we had a season two trailer and then they pulled it, right? Yeah. And I think I think we'll get something that's like, hey, here's when it's coming out. But that was a big hit and it really fits the Super Bowl audience. Um, and with Netflix, this might be me just being excited, hoping. One of my favorite things that happened during the Super Bowl the last few years was the surprise release of Cloverfield Paradox uh, two years ago. Whether Regardless of how much that movie did not work, um, it was really, really cool to have everybody collectively like, oh, this is coming out right, right after the Super Bowl. We're all going to jump in and watch it. We're going to talk about it on Monday. It was really an event movie kind of thing. Um, I would love to say that again. Don't know if Netflix is, is planning that, but that would be a really, really fun way to get eyes on a movie that they spent a lot of money on. And if Netflix is going to advertise anything on the movie front, whether it's a surprise drop or just a trailer, uh, Zack Snyder's Army of the Dead feels like the perfect candidate for this. So that movie wrapped oh, filming man, a while ago. Totally There's no release date that. for that. Um, it's a very action-heavy, bro-dude movie. So I think that Super Bowl is, is a time to, to show that and to give that a release date, if not a surprise release later on. Um, there's all kinds of different Netflix things that are happening this year, but you know the way that Netflix works, they don't always like to announce everything so there could be a total surprise a total curveball from netflix that we're not seeing coming um even a teaser for the witcher perhaps because it's you know in production on season two you know some kind of release date there uh and the, the last thing i want to draw attention to is the disney plus series um you know disney and marvel have had a presence and when you look at those the movies coming out i mean you can jungle cruise you could advertise free guy definitely but i think in this post mandalorian season one time there have been so many write-ups I've seen online about Disney Plus. Now that Mandalorian's over, it's just for kids. And there's nothing to watch until the Marvel stuff comes out. And I mean, that's not how I feel because I really like Disney things. But I know a lot of people share that opinion. And 
Disney Plus needs to move in advertising their more adult content, which doesn't come out till later this year. And the first thing to come out is uh, the Falcon and the Winter Soldier, which if you're Disney and you're looking at the Super Bowl, you're looking at the demographics, you're looking at release dates, you're looking at what can we advertise right now that will get people unbelievably excited. I think the biggest thing on their list, more than even ugh, more than even the movies, is the Falcon and the Winter Soldier. It feels like a prime thing. WandaVision, I, it might be a little too weird for the Super Bowl, um, maybe not yet, but I think Falcon and Winter Soldier is like the perfect thing to advertise. And I mean, they're also all in on Disney Plus. It's it's I their biggest venture. I'm so. holding out hope because WandaVision is like weird enough to capture eyeballs. I mean, weird doesn't qual- disqualify you from the Super Bowl at all. No, it, it doesn't disqualify you from the Super Bowl, but I think it, it when you have weird versus ground-heavy action thriller, you know, Falcon and Winter Soldier thing, I think if you're looking at the demographic of the Super Bowl, yeah, you no, I get that over one I think they would do it as a two-part thing, though. I think it would be an okay. advertisement for one and an advertisement for another. Um, or a general advertisement for The Disney other thing Plus. I thought on here that uh, I would bet on, or or at least like suspect is Amazon doing some kind of first teaser for Lord of the Rings um, for that whole thing. I mean, just to say like it exists and it's coming back or just like a teaser, like return to Middle Earth, Amazon's Lord of the Rings and drawing, seeing a map get drawn or some crap like that, you know? Yeah, like it's, it's just, it's an animation that has yeah. no footage whatsoever. Yeah, it, has, it requires no actors, no none right. of that. Just seeing like a map and start to get penciled in and then just be like, what is all this? And then it's just like, oh, it's Middle Earth, Return to Middle Earth, Amazon's Lord of the Rings. <laughs> so there you go. Um, but that was just my only thing. Otherwise, great job, Card Charlie. This all sounds uh, great. Did you say A Quiet Place too? I did not mention that, but that's also on my, I have that listed, you yeah. know, because again, that's, you're looking yeah, at big at, horror at film. Audiences. Don't leave Patrick out. We brought Patrick oh, on. PG-13 horror, <laughs> you know, Quiet Place 1 was a big hit. Quiet Place 2 is like the Patrick's kind of vertical over here. So, the kind uh, of movie yeah. for this. Quiet Place 2, I mean, yeah, in, Based on the flashback to that we saw in the first trailer, there's there's so much room to play with that as a kind of big Super Bowl blockbuster spectacle type trailer. Um, yeah, so I would love to see that. That'll do it. Thank you, Charlie, for putting that all together. And uh, we'll come back and see which one of those predictions was correct, what our favorite trailer was when we get back here in post-Super Bowl uh, next week. This will do it for episode two of season two of Comic Book Nation. We want to thank you guys for uh, tuning in. And if you're just getting into the show, we put up new episodes every Wednesday, every Friday on comicbook.com where you can subscribe to our RSS feed and get regular updates about the show. Or you can subscribe on your favorite listening platforms. We are on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, Google Podcasts, Google Playlist, or you can go on YouTube on the comicbook.com YouTube page and find a video now with our better looking set and people. Uh, what? Just ta-da. Yeah, ta-da. <laughs> we moved into a whole new studio, got a whole new budget. There you go. Uh, if you want to continue the discussion about anything we've been talking about on the show, just hit us up at the hashtag Comic Book Nation, or you can find me at Kofi Outlaw. At Charlie Ridgely. And I'm at Jim Viscardi. At The Wolfman. Yeah, yeah your you window are. says it. Yeah, we know where you are. Your window says it the whole time <laughs> like while you're up here on the screen. Just free advertising for all our remote employees. So, yes, that's Patrick at The Wolfman. Uh, You can find him there. Thank you guys for tuning in. We'll see you on the uh, next episode of Comic Book Nation Season 2. We're out. (laughs) 